2 Timothy chapter 3, if you'd turn there with me in your Bible. We are a Bible-believing church here. We believe it. We believe it from cover to cover. We even believe the cover where it says Holy Bible. It is a Holy Bible. It is a pure word, and it is set apart to God. And so uh, it is his word. It is the inspired word of God, and we believe what it says. We believe what it says. You might say, well, I'd like to argue that. No need. Don't waste your time. Okay? Uh, I've been studying the Bible for over 40 years, and I am more convinced of it today than I've ever been in my life. It is, in fact, the Word of God. It proves itself. And if you study it, if you're open-minded about it, and you let it speak to you and uh, research it, you will find it to be, in fact, the Word of God, completely set apart from any book of any religion that there is in the world. There are things in the Bible that would be impossible for man to know. And by the way, we're going to be covering some of those were it not for God giving them to us because they're eternal truths. Now, we've been in a series, Confident Living in Perilous Times. And uh, how can we live confidently? Because we are in perilous times. As it says in 2 Timothy 3.1, this know also that in the last days, perilous times shall come. Perilous means dangerous or difficult, okay, times. Times that will scare people. And we are... There's more fear today than I think we've ever had in our country as far as our nation being safe in one way or another. But this tells us very clearly in the last days, perilous times shall come. And then, of course, the passage goes on to paint the picture of that. And if you want all of those things defined in detail, go back and get this series of messages. Listen to them again. They're online. Start with the first one. And uh, these things will be defined. Now, when we're in chapter 3, I want you to move over to chapter 1. We are going to be covering a lot of ground today, so I encourage you to stay up, follow your outline. 2 Timothy chapter 1, while Paul said in chapter 3 that difficult, dangerous times would come in the last days, yet we have, even before that, this statement Paul gave to the, his uh, young pastor, Timothy, he says in 2 Timothy 1, 7, God has not given us, believers, believers, the spirit of fear. That means timidity here. Fear, being shy or afraid to stand and to live the way we should. God has not given us the spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. And so to have this confident mindset that God has called us to in these difficult days in which we live, what do we need to take heed of? Well, we've covered several already. Let me just mention them first of all, salvation, salvation, knowing that you have a home in heaven by trusting in Jesus Christ as your savior. Jesus said, he that believeth on me hath, possesses right now, everlasting Life. The moment you trust in Christ as the one who died for you and rose from the grave as the full payment for sin, he gives you as a gift everlasting life. It's everlasting. He'll never lose you. He'll never cast you out. You mean I'm saved forever? Yes. It's what the Bible teaches. Once saved, always saved. That is not a minor point, okay? Friends, listen, if you're not saved forever, you're not saved at all. God only saves one way. It's forever. When God brings another child into his family, okay, that's an eternal child. He does not give birth to temporary children. That's ridiculous. It doesn't work that way in life, and it doesn't work that way in the family 
of God. So when you trust Christ, he saves you forever. Once you've trusted him, you have eternal life. How do you know that? Because the Bible says so. Because the Bible says so. Number two, we need to learn salvation first and what that is. And then we need to learn as believers, once we're saved, how to walk by faith. How to walk by faith. What does that mean? How to live your life by faith. Faith in what? Number one, faith in God himself. Living every day, looking to the Lord, trusting in him. And then also with that, God is very practical, trusting in his word. So when we trust in the Lord and then we trust in his word, you know, the Bible's the inspired word of God. It is what God has for us. This is God speaking to us, this book. So when you trust in the Bible, you are in fact trusting in the Lord. And so as we learn to live that way, this will give us confidence in life because faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. God reminds us and instructs us in that. And then we saw the divine plan of the local church and how much we need the local church and the benefits of being here whenever the local church is together. And then serving the Lord, getting instructed, encouraged, blessed, convicted, yes, here in the local church and then going out, being equipped here and then going out and reaching people for Christ. And as we see God work and as we see God using us, that gives us confidence for living. And then last week we started talking about this last one, the imminent return of Jesus Christ, okay? I believe this is a strong motivator and source of confidence in the Christian life. Stay true to the word of God as a believer. The fact that Jesus will come back at any moment is a great motivator. You know, the fact Jesus could come back or he's gonna come back one day, that's one thing, and that's great. But the fact that he could come back at any moment, (laughs) it kind of brings it alive and says, you know what? I need to be walking. I need to be living and looking for the Lord to come back. And that motivates us to godly living. When things are rough, when things are tough for us, when we are going through a hard time, when we're discouraged and we're down, to know Jesus could come back at any moment and take us home, boy, that can kind of put the the wind back in your sails and be excited. Look, this is temporary. Whatever problems we're facing in life as believers, this is temporary. Jesus is coming. He could be here at any moment. Rejoice with that. That's what God wants for us as his children. Look with me to John chapter 14. Jesus said in John chapter 14 and verse one, he said to his disciples, this is right before he was gonna go to the cross, be raised from the dead and then go back to heaven. And he was telling them about that. He says, I'm leaving. Guys, I'm leaving. Now they had invested three, three and a half years in following him. He says, I'm leaving. Imagine But he says this, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself. This is rapture talk, not second coming to earth. I'll explain that in a moment. That where I am, there you may be also. Notice Jesus told them that he would come back and receive them to himself. He didn't tell them, he did not tell them that they would not be the generation that would see the rapture of the church. 
But he told them that I'm going away, but don't be troubled because I'll be back to take you home. In other words, he wanted them to believe that it could be at any time because he knew that that was a solution, that was a remedy to them being troubled, that they would see him soon. Do you see what I'm getting at? If he would have told them, now I'm going away, don't be troubled, I'm going away, but I'm gonna come back to receive believers unto myself and it'll be about 2,000 years from now. Well, it would be nice truth, but it wouldn't be much to get excited about for them. But he left them with the truth that he could come back at any time. And that was a remedy for them being troubled. So important that we get them. He told them what he did to comfort them and give them confidence for the days ahead. And those would be rough days. Now, they knew nothing about the approximate 2,000 year period that would come after that. And I wanted to show this to you very quickly. I'm not going to go into a lot of explanation. This is mainly for those of you who were not here last week. But I got a chart up here, a couple charts I want to show you. Let's, let's look at this. Couple charts having to do with what is coming in the future, okay? These are future events. So we see up here, we see the first coming of Christ. We see the death of Christ. What he's telling them right here is before he died. He died, was buried, came back from the dead. What he didn't tell them about was this approximate 2,000 year period of time we call the church age. Now I say approximate because I don't know if that's exactly when it is. Okay, we can't necessarily be exact with those kind of numbers because Jesus told us I could come back at any time. So we don't know. No one knew how long it would be, how long the church age would go on. You might say, well, it could go on for another thousand years. Okay, well, while that's possible, it's highly improbable. And I'm going to explain it to you, okay? But this church age was a, it was a, uh, the Bible calls it a mystery, Okay, it wasn't taught in the Old Testament. As a matter of fact, it wasn't taught in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and most of John either. The first reference to this period is found here in John chapter 14. But you notice after the church age, the rapture takes place. That when, it's when the Lord comes back and he's in the clouds and he's gonna call all believers up out of this world and we're gonna meet him in the air and go to be with him. He's not gonna come all the way back to earth at that point. We're going to meet him in the clouds, in the air. The rapture takes place, okay? And then notice, though, back on the earth, there's a period called the tribulation period. That's seven years long. More about that in just a moment, all right? And then after that, the second coming of Christ, back down literally all the way to earth. This is Revelation chapter 19 at the end of the seven-year tribulation period, which will be the worst period of time that the world has ever known. According to Jesus, he made it very clear. Read Matthew 24. And then there's going to be the thousand year rule and reign of Jesus Christ. Now, those of us who are believers, we are coming back with him all the way to earth at that second coming of Christ. And we will touch down with him on the Mount of Olives in Israel. If you've been there, isn't it amazing to look at that and say, got an appointment, got an appointment, going to be here one day. Now, they did not see this church age. Let me show you the next slide. This is what the Jewish mind understood, all right? 
The first coming of Christ, the Messiah would come, make a payment for sin. That's all in the Old Testament. The seven-year tribulation period is all in the Old Testament, as well as we know in the New Testament. And then the kingdom age and so forth. That's all, this is the way the Jewish people who knew the Bible saw the future. The church age did not exist in their mind because no one had ever told them about it. It was a mystery. It was a truth not revealed until the proper time. So this is the way they saw it. And this is the way the disciples saw it. Do you understand what I'm saying? This is the way they saw it until the book of Acts. And on the day of Pentecost, the church age was birthed. Let's go back to the other slide. And so as time went on, what they saw during the church age, now as time has gone on, this has gone on. Now, the church age will end at the rapture of the church. And so keep that in mind, all right? And uh, this is going to be exciting. Now, when will the rapture take place at any moment? Is there anything that must happen before the rapture takes place? The answer to that is no. The apostles were looking forward in their day. They wrote to us under inspiration to look for the Lord to come back at any Time. It's the imminent return of Jesus Christ. This is why we believe that the rapture must take place before the tribulation begins. That's one of many reasons. But it is a big reason, is the issue of imminence. Here's what I'm saying. There are groups saying today, well, no, Jesus is not going to come back till midway through that tribulation period. Well, then he's not coming back at any time. Because we know we're not in the tribulation period because there are lots of signs Lots of things that are going to happen for this tribulation period. And so then it's not, the rapture's not imminent. Well, he's not coming back until somewhere after the mid-trib, but not all the way to the second coming at the end. That's what they call pre-wrath. Pre-wrath. All right? No, friend, he's, that doesn't fit either because then it's not an imminent re- event. You're telling me then that the rapture can't take place until after the midway in the tribulation and between the second coming of Christ. That can't fit. Why? Well, because then it's not an imminent event. Does the Bible really teach imminency? Yeah, keep with me today. We're going to prove it, I believe, to those who would be honest with Scripture or those who are open to it. No. We should be looking for the rapture because it is imminent. And that's what Jesus taught the disciples how to see it. And that is what they, in fact, taught. Why should they be looking for it if it is far off or other events have to take place first? No, they saw it as imminent, which means at any moment. Now, if the Bible teaches that the church will be taken out before the tribulation, this gives us great confidence as we live with anticipation. I can get up every day and I can say, Lord, I'm still here, but Lord, today may be the day when we see Jesus face to face. It isn't, well, Lord, you've told me we're going to be going through the tribulation, and so I'm looking for that to come, and I'm not looking forward to it, looking forward to seeing you, but I'm not looking forward to the tribulation. No, if that's what you have to do, then it's not an imminent event. You're looking for the tribulation, not for Jesus. It's not what he told them to do. He never told them, look for the tribulation. He said, look for me. 
Titus 2, verse 13, it says, looking for that blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Looking, that is present tense. Present tense. We need to be looking for him. Now, how do we know that the rapture is an imminent event? Well, last week we covered several things. One was something called the 70 weeks of Daniel's prophecy. The 70 week of Daniel prophecy. That's found in Daniel 9, verses 24 through 27. We're not going to cover the ground today. If you want to hear about that, go back to last week's message. A prophecy was given explaining that God had a specific 490-year plan for the Jewish people. This is found in Daniel, the book of Daniel chapter 9. 400, listen carefully, 483 years of that plan have already been fulfilled. That is a fact of history that is undisputed. All right? However, it paused. The 490-year plan, it paused after Jesus died on the cross. Now, 490 minus 483 equals what? Seven. Good math this morning, okay? Seven years are left. Seven years are left. That seven-year period of time is what we saw on the screen. It is the seven-year period tribulation period. It is yet future. It is yet to be fulfilled. All right. Now for that to be fulfilled, the world has to be set up the way it was when it was paused. Israel's got to be back in the land. You've got to have a global empire ready to to be in place or in place. All right. There's a lot of things that have to be done. Well, guess what? We are there today. All set already for that last seven years. Now, if the rapture is going to take place sometime before the tribulation begins, that's the teaching of imminence, and if the tribulation is in fact as it is in the days in which we live, it would seem that it's very close, right around the corner. That tells us that Jesus is coming very, very soon. Not only that, we saw last week the tribulation period, the seven-year period is called the time of Jacob's trouble. That is found in uh, Jeremiah chapter 30, verses one through seven. The Jewish people would come back to the land in the last days for this last period. Guess what? May 14th, 1948, after being scattered for almost 2,000 years, the Jewish nation came back and was declared a nation once again. It's the greatest miracle of our time. Absolutely amazing. Tribulation could not happen, the tribulation, if Israel was not back in the land. But Israel is back in the land, having been scattered for almost 2,000 years. Friend, it's an amazing, amazing prophecy. And by the way, Jews keep coming back by the droves every year, back to Israel, back to Israel. Not only that, We saw also the testimony of 1 Thessalonians 4 and 5. Actually, I believe that, I'm not sure, we covered this last week? I think we did. Anyways, the testimony of 1 Thessalonians 4 and 5. Remember, Paul wrote, yeah, we covered it. Paul wrote in letters, his epistles. The the word epistle means a letter, okay? An epistle is not the wife of an apostle. So let's remember that. An epistle is a letter, and, and, and these were written to churches, and, and Paul wrote two of them to the Thessalonian church, Church of Thessalonica. 
And in those letters, the way they were, see, they weren't written with chapter divisions like we have in our Bible and verse numbers. Now, I'm glad those things are in here, but they were just letters like you would write a letter to somebody else. And in there, he gave great truth. And I want you to see a little part of this. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Turn there with me. No chapter divisions in the word of God. The rapture of chapter 4, which we're going to look at, is very clear if you just follow the text. The rapture of the church comes before this thing we call the day of the Lord. Now, the day of the Lord is not just the tribulation period, but it takes us all the way to the new heavens and the new earth. 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 16 Paul's writing to the Thessalonians and he says, for the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and the trump of God and the dead in Christ shall rise first, the dead in Christ. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air and so shall we ever be with the Lord. Wherefore, comfort one another with these words. Wait a minute, comfort, where, where did I see that before? Oh yeah, John chapter 14. As a matter of fact, John 14 is uncanny if you look at it right next to 1 Thessalonians 4, how each point lines up with John chapter 14. Now, they did not understand the details of John chapter 14 when Jesus told them those truths back then, but here they are explained exactly what that was about. Now, what we see in 1 Thessalonians, though, is right after he says this about the rapture and then comfort one another with these words... Then he starts talking about in chapter 5, again, no actual chapter divisions, but in our Bible, that's the way it is. And he starts talking about the day of the Lord, and it's going to come as a thief in the night, and it talks about children of darkness, children of light, and there is a contrast between those of us who are going to be taken up to be with the Lord and those who are going to be left on the earth. It's very, very clear in chapter 5, and we covered that last time. So we see the testimony of 1 Thessalonians 4 and 5 very clear. If you follow the progression there, the rapture comes first, and then the day of the Lord follows the rapture of the church. Let's move on. Then we see, and this is new starting today, then we see the testimony of the book of Revelation. Turn to Revelation chapter 1 with me. Revelation chapter 1. The testimony of the book of Revelation. What do I mean by that? The book of Revelation teaches the imminent return of Jesus Christ, and I believe it also teaches that the rapture comes before the tribulation. Revelation 1. Here's Jesus speaking to John, and he says this, Write, write the things which thou hast seen and the things which are and the things which shall be hereafter. See, Jesus gave the outline right here in verse 19, which is the key verse of the entire book. Jesus gave the outline of the entire book of Revelation. The things which thou hast seen, Revelation chapter 1. Talks about John knew, he knew the Lord, and, and just all the details of, of what's going on there. The things that are the things which are, talking about Revelation chapter 2 and chapter 3, where Jesus is speaking to the seven churches. Jesus is speaking to the seven churches. We're living in the church age. When John was writing this down, he was living in the church age. 
And then you notice the last one, the things which shall be hereafter. Revelation chapter four verse, uh, through chapter 22. Revelation chapter four verse, or excuse me, through 22. What do we see? We see that which will be hereafter. What takes place after the church age? Now, remember this. Remember this. Nowhere between chapter four and chapter 22 is the church mentioned in the book of Revelation. It is referred to in chapter 19 at the marriage supper of the Lamb, but that's in heaven. That's in heaven. In other words, the church is in heaven, but the word church is not used there. No, it's not until chapter 22 that the word church is used again. So what do we see? Revelation 2 and 3, addressed to seven churches after chapter 3. No more mention of the church. Well, what do we have in Revelation? Specifically, chapter 6 through 19 deal with that seven-year period of time called the tribulation period. Pastor, what are you saying? I'm saying that the rapture comes before the tribulation, and therefore it is an imminent event. That's what Jesus taught, and we ought to be looking for it every single day because we're not going through the tribulation period. All right? Let me just give you some, and if, if you're welcome to turn there if you can keep up with me. You've got them on your study sheet, and I'll give them to you on the screen, okay? Revelation 22, verse 7. It says, behold, I come quickly. Did Jesus tell them, you know what? This is way down the road, guys. Behold, I come quickly. What does that point to? Imminence. He didn't tell them when. He says, I'm coming quickly. Blessed is he that keeps the sayings of the prophecy of this book, Revelation twenty-two twelve. And behold, I come quickly, and my reward is with me. Revelation twenty-two twenty. He which testifieth these things saith, Surely I come quickly. Lord, what are you saying? <laughs> He's coming quickly. He told John, I'm coming quickly. If that doesn't teach the imminent return of Jesus, I don't know what does. Let me give you another one specifically. Oh, this is a great one. The promise of Revelation 3.10. Turn there with me. Revelation chapter 3, verse 10. The promise made here, and I know there are different views on Revelation 3.10, what it's teaching, what it isn't. Let me tell you my journey about this verse. As a young man, very influential, I was taught that this verse had to do with the rapture of the church. And that's what I believed, and that's what I taught and then as I studied it through, I started thinking, well, you know, I'm, I'm totally not, not sure about that, if that's a rapture or not. And so I started believing that it might be something else, okay? Not in any way forsaking my position as being pre-trib rapture. It's just that I thought maybe it was teaching something else. And then as time has gone on and further study of it, I'm more convinced than ever that it's teaching a pre-tribulational rapture, that that is in fact what this verse teaches, all right? It says in Revelation 3.10, by the way, written to the church of Philadelphia, written to believers. It says, because thou hast kept the word of my patience or endurance or perseverance, I also will keep thee from the hour of temptation which shall come upon all the world to try them that dwell upon the earth. You notice here, and this is key, it is the Lord's perseverance, not theirs. It is the Lord's perseverance. Here's what I believe it's talking about. It's talking about the truth of the gospel. 
and what he did for us in suffering and dying for our sins. He persevered the cross. He endured the cross. Because thou hast kept the word of his perseverance. We who are believers have kept, literally the word keep means to keep our eyes fixed upon that message of the gospel in that we have believed it and embraced it. When I understood the gospel, I saw it, I understood it, and I trusted in Jesus Christ as my savior. Why? Because that's what the message is about. You might say, well, how does this fit with his perseverance, okay? Here's how it fits, folks. Those who have believed it, there's a promise of deliverance from the hour of temptation or trial which will come upon the whole earth. And what Jesus did was he persevered. Hebrews 12 says, okay, he endured, or it says, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus endured, he persevered. And what is that? It makes up the truth of the gospel. And because I have received that, that's what I hold to, okay? And once you do, you're saved forever. God says, okay, you've believed, you've trusted Christ as Savior, you've believed the gospel. I promise I am gonna keep you from the hour of temptation or trial that's gonna come upon the whole earth. Several important issues here in verse 10. The first is this. You notice he said he would keep them from the hour. From. Now this is important. It's the Greek word. The word from is the word ek, meaning from or out of. It does not mean through. This is why one of the reasons we believe in a pre-tribulational rapture. Jesus didn't say, I'm going to keep you through the tribulation. He says, I'm going to keep you from the tribulation got to be pre-tribulational rapture. This is the promise that the church will not be going through the tribulation period, which in Revelation refers to chapter 6 through 19. So it would make total sense. Jesus gives them that promise, and then the church is out of the world, not even mentioned as existing in the world, chapters 4 through 19. Not only that, but you notice in Revelation 3.10 that the hour of trial would be global. You see it? So it is talking about a global tribulation, hour of trial, a global tribulation that will come upon the whole earth. This fits perfectly with chapter 6 through 19, which describe the seven-year tribulation period, which as I speak today is still future, which leads us to the third point. The time of trial was future. It says, because thou hast kept the word of my patience, it says, which shall come upon all the world, which shall come. You see it, upon all the world to try them that dwell upon the earth. So it will come. It was yet future when this was given, and today it is future as well. All right? And the fourth one, which is very important, I want to give this to you, and I don't know if I've ever taught this before, but you notice it here. Who's he speaking to? What kind of people? Believers, saints, believers. And he says, the fourth point is this, the judgment is for them, look at this, that dwell upon the earth. Why would he say this to these people if he was not saying something that was a contrast to the truth that was for them? You see what I'm saying? I'm gonna keep you from the hour of trial which is gonna come upon 
those that dwell on the earth. There's you and then there's them. There's a contrast between the two. This is in contrast to the church which will be in heaven. In other words, the tribulation period is for those who dwell on the earth. You guys aren't going to be there though. It's for those who are going to be left behind. The fact that the church is not mentioned again in Revelation after chapter 3 points to the fact that the rapture takes place at the end of the church age, chapters 2 and 3. Then the judgments of the tribulation are poured out upon the earth in chapters 6 through 19, and then we come back with Jesus at the end of the tribulation period. Let's move on from here. Revelation 3.10 is a tremendous verse, but let's move on from here. Okay? F, this restrainer is removed from the earth before the Antichrist is revealed in the tribulation period. The restrainer is the Holy Spirit. He lives today within believers and is a permanent resident in us. God himself lives in this body. The Holy Spirit lives inside of me. Okay, the Bible tells us in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, for the mystery of iniquity, in other words, Satan's plan of sin and the bringing in of the Antichrist doth already work, only he who now letteth, that's a King James word, means restrains, only he that who now letteth will let until he be taken out of the way. Now listen. Verse 8, and then shall the wicked or wicked one be revealed. That's the Antichrist, whom the Lord shall consume with the spirit of his mouth and shall destroy with the brightness of his coming. And that will be at the end of the tribulation period. Now, here's what's happening today. You, know, you ever hear people say, well, you know what? Today is just like the days of Noah. No, it's not. It's moving in that direction, but it's not there. Why? Because Genesis says at the time of Noah, right before the flood, the thoughts of man were only evil continually. Well, that's not true today. We're moving that direction, but the thoughts of man are not only evil continually today. But what would cause that to take place? You see, the church, the body of Christ today, those believers who are living for Christ, we are being salt and light to the world in which we live through the power of the Holy Spirit who lives in us. When the Holy Spirit is taken out of the way, then the wickedness, the floodgate of evil of the Antichrist and this lost world is gonna come like a flood over the planet. But friend, we are taken out of the way when? Well, the Holy Spirit's taken out of the way. Okay, well, when is the Holy Spirit taken out of the way? Well, it's when the church is taken up because he lives in us. Now, That doesn't mean that God is not going to be in the world. Why? Well, because God is omnipresent. But he's not going to be working the same way as he is today because we're in this dispensation of the church. But the restrainer is removed from the earth before the Antichrist is revealed in the tribulation period. The restrainer is the Holy Spirit. He lives within us. He's going to be taken out. When? The rapture. There's no other explanation for it that I know of. Let me give you another one. G, the types of scripture concerning the righteous and coming judgment. What do I mean by that? Well, these, this is not a major point, but it nevertheless is a biblical one that has to be understood. 
We have two examples. I gave, I'm just giving you two off the top of my head here today. One is Enoch. Enoch. He was taken up before the flood came and destroyed the earth. Okay? He was taken up. It says in Genesis 5.24, and Enoch walked with God, and he was not, for God took him. I just love that. I just love it. Don't change it, okay? Don't change it. He walked with God and he was not. So here's Enoch just walking with God and all of a sudden, he's gone. Where'd he go? You know what? That's a perfect picture of the rapture. And then what took place after he was taken? Shortly after Enoch was taken, by the way, chronologically, the flood took place. Relatively speaking, short period of time. Second, we see the type in the person of Lot in Genesis chapter 19. Now, Lot was messed up a lot, all right? He was saved, believe it or not. Some people look a lot. There's no way he could be saved. No, no. Peter tells us he was a righteous man. It says, deliver just Lot. The word just there doesn't mean only. It means righteous, righteous. Lot, even though he was messed up, even though he had messed up values and he was carnal and he wasn't living for the Lord like he should, what did God do? God delivered Lot from Sodom and Gomorrah before destruction came on that area. Just like God is going to deliver the believers out of this world before destruction comes on the earth during the tribulation period. And then let me give you this. Let me give you very quickly a brief collection of scriptures supporting a pre-tribulational rapture. Why are we spending so much time on this? Because of this, friend. Jesus could come back at any moment, and that is a strong motivator and a confidence builder for the believer today. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 51. It says, Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment, in a twinkling of an eye at the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound and the dead shall be raised incorruptible and we shall be changed. Why do I keep emphasizing the word we? Because Paul was including himself in the ones this would happen to. He's saying this could happen to us. Jesus could come back at any moment and when it does, we, not they down in down the f- future, we shall be changed. Do you see that? Philippians chapter three and verse 20, it says, for our conversation, our citizenship is in heaven. From whence also we look for the Savior. The word look, present tense. We are looking for Jesus. Paul said this some 2,000 years ago. He says, we're looking for Jesus. You know what, folks? That teaches imminency, teaches Jesus could come back in any moment. Philippians 4, 5, let your moderation be known unto all men. Look at it. The Lord's coming one day. No, no. The Lord is at hand. The Lord is at hand. 1 Thessalonians 1, 10 says, and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, which delivered us from the wrath to come. The wrath to come is not just hell. The wrath to come is the tribulation period. And we need to be looking for Jesus to come back. A verse I already mentioned, but very powerful, Titus 2.13. Looking 
Again, present tense. Looking for the blessed hope and the glorious appearing of the great God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Looking for the blessed hope. Are you looking? Are you looking? Should be. James chapter 5, verse 7. Be patient, therefore, brethren, unto the coming of the Lord. He could have said, be patient, brethren, the rest of your life. No, what did he say? Be patient unto the coming of the Lord. What's he saying? He's saying, be patient until you see Jesus come. James was teaching a pre-tribulational rapture. Be ye also patient, establish your hearts, for the coming of the Lord draweth nigh. It's coming soon. Grudge not one against another, brethren, lest ye be condemned. Behold, the judge standeth before the door. He didn't say he's making a journey. One day he'll get here. No, it's like, you know, you invite somebody over your house, you're waiting for them to come, and you're waiting, you're waiting, the time is getting close, and then you see if you've got a window next to your door or something, you see it get a little dark, you know, somebody's there, and then you're waiting for the... The judge stands at the door. 1 John 2.28, And now, little children, abide in him. Now. Now, little children, abide in him. That when he shall appear we may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. 1 John 3, 2, Beloved, now are we the sons of God, and it doth not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when he shall appear. And by the way, that's just a couple verses past verse 28. When he shall appear, we, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And every man that hath this hope, joyful anticipation, purifies himself, even as he is pure. The imminent return of Jesus is a motivator to godly living and confident living because we could see him any time. Listen, James said, folks, what James gave was under inspiration of the Spirit. Don't look at it and say, well, he said he's, he's at the door. He was mistaken. He wasn't mistaken. This is the mind God wants us to have. It keeps us motivated. When we combine all of these factors, the only position on when the rapture takes place that fits scripture is a pre-tribulational rapture. If the church had to go through certain parts of the tribulation period, then the rapture could not be considered as an imminent event. You could not do it. Doesn't fit. Let me close with you over in John chapter three. Turn there with me, John chapter three. So friend... What about you? I know I've covered a lot of ground today. Hopefully it's been understandable. Let me ask you a question. If you were to die right now, are you sure you're going to heaven? Are you sure of that? Might say, well, I hope so. I'm I'm doing my best. I'm really trying to live it out and live a good life and be moral and so forth. Let me say this with all the kindness I can give you, friend, If that's what you are basing your eternity with God on, based on that, you're not going. You're not going. Why? Because you're not saved by your good works. The Bible says in Ephesians 2, 8, and 9, for by grace are you saved, not by works, 
For by grace are you saved through faith, faith in Christ and what he did for you. And that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Jesus came because God loves us so much, he sent his son to the cross to die on the cross and pay for our sins, and that's exactly what he did. And he says, if you believe or put your faith, your trust in him, he will give you everlasting life. Let me explain it to you. This hand representing you and me, this wallet representing our sin. Here we are, all of us are sinners. Yes, we are. I'm a sinner just like you, yet God loves us and he hates our sin. To get to heaven, you have to be sinless and there's not a one of us that is. Therefore, we're disqualified. God says we've sinned against him and there's a penalty that goes with that. And it is eternal death. The wages of sin is death. We would die physically and be separated from God forever. So what the word death is is separation, okay? Separated in hell. But you see, God does not want us to go to hell. He wants us to go to heaven, but we have to be sinless to get there, and we're not. So then what are we going to do? Well, our best is not going to take away the sin. You can try all you want. It won't take it away. A death payment has to be made. That's the only payment that's acceptable is a death payment. That's why God sent his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. He's the sinless son of God. And he came into the world and he lived a perfect life. And when he went to the cross, he took our sin upon himself and he died in our place and he made that payment that we need to have. He did it for us. And he shed his blood and he rose from the grave. And he says, if you will believe in him or trust in him, that he made that payment for you, the moment you do, he will give you everlasting life. When you do, all your sins. The payment he made is good on your behalf. All your sins are taken away. You stand forgiven at the cross. Would you today trust in Jesus Christ as your savior? There is no other way. It's only through what he did for you that you can be saved. Your good works, they won't make you perfect and they won't pay for sin. So you might as well just forget about it. They won't save you. Only Jesus can. Well, friends, that concludes this edition of Voice of Assurance. Thanks so much for listening. And would you share this ministry with a friend? To contact us or learn more about our ministry, please visit www.northlandchurch.com Your prayers and support for this ministry are greatly appreciated. Thank you so much and God bless you.